wisdom rise ancestors surround us rise. welcome to advancing the art of aging i'm carol silver elliot president and ceo of the jewish home family a continuum of services for older adults located in northern new jersey Our intent with these podcasts is to introduce you not only to the Jewish home family, but also to give you information you can use about issues of aging and about ways to age with more health, vigor, and vitality. I'm thrilled today to have as my guest Nancy Ames. Nancy is the Director of Social Services at Jewish Home Assisted Living. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much, Carol, for having me here today. We're delighted to have you. Thank you again. How long have you been at assisted living? I've been at the assisted living for 13 years. Wow. 2008. Wow. So when the building opened. When the building opened, yes. That's great. And tell me what the role of a social worker in assisted living is. It's different than in other settings. It is. It is, Carol. So um, a social worker in assisted living is actually a very unique role because most assisted livings don't have an in-house social worker. Uh, So... Our role as social service in the assisted living is to work closely with the new elders that come into the community, help them acclimate to the community, work with their families very closely in helping them acclimate and adjust their folks into assisted living. We um, work very closely with all the elders that move into the facility, acclimating them into programming, routine, structure of the building, almost like everybody has their own personal assistant um, in in the facility. And we really become their personal go-to and kind of case manage all all their care and needs within our home. So you're really, especially during these times when visiting has been restricted, you're really the point of contact for families, aren't you? Yes, we have been. We have been. um, My mantra with my staff is compulsive communication. Oh, I like that. Just talk, talk, talk. Give families as much information as they need and want to know. It's very hard in these COVID times to have your loved one in a facility um, earlier on when visitation was more restricted and we were relying on uh, Zoom and FaceTime. Um, We really were on the phone most of the day just giving updates to the family members. Um, As things opened up a little bit and we were able to have outdoor visiting, um, we've continue to manage and facilitate as many visits as we can a day for our elders. Which is really, truly wonderful. You know, it is so hard for people to be separated from their loved ones. Yes, it absolutely is. But we are, we're making it happen. We're making them see each other. Um, People who live on the first floor, we've encouraged them, come on by, drive on by, wave on by, whatever you have to do to see your loved ones, we're there to, to help them, to help them see them and make it happen. You know, you mentioned during the COVID time, which, of course, for good or for ill, we're still in. During the worst weeks of COVID must have been incredibly difficult for the families, not knowing, not seeing, not being able to understand what was going on. Your role must have taken on an even greater importance. It did. It absolutely did. We were... um you know, constantly, constantly communicating with family members, how their mom was doing, what their mom was doing, you know, taking iPads down the hallways, socially distancing, able to have loved ones see their mom or dad. And it really, it really, you know, meant a lot. 
I myself during COVID would visit my elderly folks through the window. So I had complete empathy to many, many of our family members and sharing my own personal stories with them too made them feel like, wow, you are really in it with us. Yeah. You know what it's like. Yeah, it, it does make a difference when you're experiencing it yeah. both as a family member as as you and I both have as well as as a professional. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, you also did a lot to support the elders during those tough days. We did. We did. We um, kind of revitalized and recreated ourselves um, it, pretty much on a dime because that's what we were all doing during during COVID. Uh, we did a lot of hallway discussions, groups, visits. Our uh, in-house clergy, who was amazing, you know, we were doing uh, Shabbos in the hall. Actually, in the deepest of COVID was Passover, and we were doing Passover down the hall, just in ways that you never in your lifetime, and especially for our elders who have lived such long, full lives, all shared with us one same theme. We have never in our life experienced, you know, a, a holiday in this in this format, but we're just so thrilled that they had all the things that they would always have, except obviously we weren't in a big room at a big table, but we really tried to recreate everything we could for our elders uh, during, during the COVID time. So really when you talk about your function in social services, it's far more than, you know, being the social worker per se. It's much more being the facilitator, the convener, the supporter, the communicator, as well as using your creativity to do anything that needed to be done. Correct. We're, we're really, and you're the daughter. You're the surrogate daughter. You know, anyone that has a, a mom, if you treat your elders like you're treating your mom, you're, you're going to do good by them. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think... As a family member, people feel that. They feel that from you and, and from Rachel as well, yes. the, the other social worker on our staff, that that connection is not just real. It's loving and caring and as supportive Correct. as they would want it to be. And that has to be some comfort, especially for families who are far away, who can't be here all the time. Yes. T tough stuff, though. Yeah, absolutely, especially for um, families that themselves were having health issues, and, and they were concerned about even coming to, to window visit. Um, so they were really, really appreciative with the ongoing communication. Because I always feel if people have communication, they feel they're in control, yeah. and they know what's going on. The worst thing is to not know what's going on, and then your mind wanders in a lot of different directions. Oh, for sure. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. We start making things up. <laughs> exactly. And, and yes, yes, I do that best in the middle of the night, you know? <laughs> That's the moment where you start projecting all of those things that could happen. One of the things outside of your normal responsibilities that you've been really involved with is our Parkinson's programming. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your role has been? Yes, yeah, so I, I've uh, handled a lot of our Parkinson's um, inquiries and, and overseen a lot of the programs that have taken place, a lot of inquiry calls within the facility. We um, have our Zoom boxing, which has really taken off awesome uh, since COVID hit. Prior to COVID, we had our in-person live boxing that was amazing, but obviously due to COVID, 
we switched gears, as many people did, and um, have our online Zoom boxing course. We also have our um, Parkinson's support group that meets on uh, the first Thursday of each month. And then we have our Parkinson's support group for caregivers that meets the third Thursday of each month via Zoom for caregivers. I really encourage anyone out there who has Parkinson's to hop in on one of these groups. Um, call us. Our number is 855-JHF-PARK. And you'll get me for any questions, concerns you might have about Parkinson's, any direction we could help you, more than welcome. Um, I really look forward to hearing from you all out there. Now, you mentioned boxing, and maybe there's someone out there listening to us who doesn't understand the connection between boxing and Parkinson's. Can you explain that a little bit? So it's been proven that aggressive exercising and boxing helps people tremendously with Parkinson's. Um, so we started our Rocksteady Boxing program uh, a while ago, and as we followed our elders that were coming in for the boxing, as they built up their endurance and their aggressive boxing, their Parkinson's dramatically improved. So there's a huge connection between exercise and, and boxing and walking with Parkinson's, with people with Parkinson's. So because COVID has impacted everything, obviously, both within our buildings as well as the community, that whole program is now a live stream program. So that's Monday through Friday, twice a day in the morning and the yes. afternoon. And if people want information, they could either go to our website or they could call that um, JHF, the, the J-H-F Park. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Exactly. But there's lots of places to get information. And Absolutely. the support groups are really a huge piece of it. Nancy, one sort of taking back a couple of years, one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was a unique experience that you and I had the opportunity to share. And that is our trip to Israel with elders. Um, you know, if if life were what we expected it to be, we would actually be planning another trip to Israel with our elders. It would we have tried to take a mission of elders to Israel every three years from the Jewish home family and you were a part of the first one mm -hmm. that we did. Um, hard to believe that it's it was 2015, and here we are five years later. Mm -hmm. But can you can you share a little bit about what that experience was like for you? So, you know, when Carol first came to um, to our organization, she asked me, "What are one of your goals?" And I said, "I would love to take a group of elders to Israel." She's like, "Been there, done that. We're going to do it." <laughs> so. No sooner said, you know, a year later, here we are booking this trip and traveling with elders. It really, I would have to say, was one of the most memorable moments um, in my life to be able to make a dream come true for 10 elders who wanted to travel to Israel. Not going to kid you, it's not easy work. Traveling on a plane with walkers and wheelchairs and all kinds of stuff that we and elders would travel with. Um, I often say when we were walking down JFK Airport and Carol was the leader and I was at the end and I was like, wow, we are quite like a group, <laughs> like Moses walking across the Red Sea. <laughs> that will stick in my mind for a long time. Um, but it was an amazing, amazing trip to take the elders out of 
you know, between Rockley and assisted living and be in Israel and just see how, you know, we were traveling with people that were 80, 90 years old, but when that plane landed, their minds turned right back into being 50 years old and doing things and hanging out and let's go to this place for drinks and let's stay out late. And it was just such a, such a moving, meaningful um, trip. We had some residents who reunited with friends that they never thought they would see again. We had um, another member see a lifetime college rabbinic friend who he hadn't seen in years. It was really, really a very, very moving and meaningful, meaningful trip. It really, it really was. Every time we have the opportunity to take elders and put them in a unique situation, it's powerful because people rise to the occasion in ways that I think anyone who doesn't know them like we know them would think that's impossible. You're taking a 90-something-year-old and you're going to get them to the Western Wall and you're going to take them to the top of Masada. Are you people crazy? <laughs> But, you know, we did it. We've done it twice here, and every time it's, like, truly magical. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but there's a story I always tell about this trip that, for me, is one of the moments I will never forget. And it it really is your story about what happened when we went to Yad Vashem. Would you share that story? Sure, Carol. So my mother um, is a Holocaust survivor. Uh, She has spent decades of her year of her life educating uh, children in schools and high schools and colleges um, about her story. And when we went to um, Yad Vashem, uh, I had been told by my mom that, you know, many, many years ago when people were coming out of the concentration camps, there was a photographer there taking pictures and there was an album that was made And there is a picture of my mother when she was about 15 years old with her shaven head coming off the the trains in Auschwitz. And this photographer captured this picture. And this picture um, was in uh, Yad Vashem. And as we were walking through Yad Vashem, the book was on display, and I was able to see that picture uh, with my mother, which was a very, very moving moving moment for for myself and for everybody that was that was with me yeah it it, um i still get tears in my eyes when i think about that moment there are many photos in this book it's a huge book and that it's a digital display that continuously changes and the fact that when you walked up there and looked down you said there's my mother was like one of those moments that we would say was beshared, was meant to be. It was incredible. And all of us were standing around. Everybody had tears. <laughs> and the docent, if you remember, who was a retired mm-hmm. um, day school principal yeah. from New York, said, you're not allowed to take pictures in here. And he yeah. said, I'm walking over there. Because yeah, he great. really wanted us to take a photo of you standing with that book, to be able to show it to your mom, to be able to have that, to memorialize the moment. But that was, I think, one of the most powerful moments to sort of see history connecting in yeah. that way. Really, really powerful. Absolutely. Must have meant a lot to your mom to know that that incredible moment happened. It did. It did. And as a survivor, I think, you know, many of our survivors have the moments of 
you know, we've made it. We, we went through all this horror, but their resilience and their ability to come to the United States and, and make a life for themselves and have families. You know, there was no counseling back then when survivors came over to the United States. You arrived with your clothes and you went to work. And, and that was it. And you, you looked for people that were similar to yourself because maybe they could understand what I've been through because who would believe what were the horrors of the concentration camps? Right. Um, so it, it, in my own personal life and in my work life, when survivors come to the assisted living, I feel, um, you know, we, we care for them, but I really feel I have a, a very deep understanding of of survivors and their emotional, um, and I hate to say the word, but their emotional trauma and baggage that they carry with them because, unfortunately, something like that does damage you and affect you for life. But with that being said, many, many of our survivors have gone on to live beautiful, productive lives and Kanahara have, you know, four or five grandchildren, 15, 20 great-grandchildren, so it, it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. It's certainly uh, remembering that life goes on. Correct. Yes. We had um, a Holocaust survivor in the nursing home here at Rockley who had COVID, and she's quite close to 100. Wow. And she, would, she was very ill, but she would say to the staff, that, believe me, I've been through worse. Yeah. You know, it's all a matter of perspective. And she actually was the one who reassured the staff. You know, this is she really would say this is nothing compared yeah. to what I've been through. You know, the two experiences pale one in the other and one in comparison to the other. So, you know, Nancy, I think what we've heard today is that not just about Holocaust survivors, but your compassion that comes through and your commitment to older adults. And we are very blessed to have you on our team. And I think all of our elders are have their lives improved by having you in them. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you. Rise, all of the children rise. Elders with wisdom rise. Ancestors surround us rise.